0: There listeners, and welcome to a special episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. Instead of the typical format where I interview one person, today you will get to listen to several people share their stories. By the way, I say listen to, but my goal is to get a transcript for this episode out in the next week or two, so you'll be able to read these stories as well. I'm about to graduate from seminary, and I'll most likely be unemployed this summer, which means I'll finally have the time to finish up transcripts for all episodes of this show. I'll also have more time for various other projects, so I've started up a Patreon to help make that content happen. More on that at the end of this episode. The theme for this special episode is faith and violence. I put out a call for your stories and poems about the way you have experienced violence from a religion or a faith community because of being trans. Religion has wrought so much harm on transgender and non-binary people, and it's important to cultivate spaces where those who have been harmed can share our stories. It is also important to speak out about this violence in order to fight it. Violence against trans people comes in so many forms, and many well-meaning faith communities might not even realize the harm they are doing to trans people in the form of constant misgendering or failing to use language that includes people of all genders and so on. I hope that any cisgender listeners who want to be an ally to trans people will be moved to challenge transphobic violence in all its forms after hearing these stories. I hope that transgender and or non-binary listeners will be encouraged by the knowledge that they are not alone in any violence or pain they've experienced, and that there is a future after that pain. Please, take care of yourself while listening to this episode. Take breaks, cuddle with a pet, make a warm drink, text a friend, do whatever you need to do to keep yourself safe. I'll be stating content warnings for each individual story as the episode goes on. If you have to skip a story because it sounds like it's going to hit too close to home, or if you have to skip this episode entirely, that is totally okay. Your safety and well-being is what's most important. One thing that helped me get through the pain and grief and fury I felt while listening to all these stories was paying attention for the sparks of hope amid the violence. I was amazed and encouraged to realize that some measure of hope shines through every single one of these stories of pain. Look for those sparks and ponder how we as a community can stoke those sparks of hope brighter and brighter. One last thing before finally getting into the episode, I want to acknowledge the limited scope of this episode. Each person who shared their experience for this episode happens to be of a Christian background. Religious violence against trans people does, of course, exist in a whole lot more religions than just Christianity, and this episode fails to speak to that. Still, given the role that Christianity has played in spreading transphobia and other forms of xenophobic violence to many cultures across the world, it might be fitting to focus on the harm done within Christian circles. Another limitation to this episode is that the majority of experiences shared take place in the United States. Also, almost all of the stories shared in this episode come from people assigned female at birth. It is so important to note that trans and non-binary people who were assigned male at birth, trans women, trans feminine people, face unique and exacerbated forms of violence. For trans feminine folks, transphobia compiles with sexism. And for people of color, there's also racism that piles up on top of that into a particularly noxious poison. In 1989, Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality to describe how mainstream white feminism fails to meet the needs of black women because black women face the overlapping and multiplied discrimination of racism and sexism. Crenshaw wrote, Because the intersectional experience is greater than the sum of racism and sexism, any analysis that does not take intersectionality into account cannot sufficiently address the particular manner in which black women are subordinated. It is important to respectfully adapt Crenshaw's concept of intersectionality into our fight for the rights of all trans persons, to see how trans feminine people, especially when they are also people of color, experience an especially deadly variety of oppression. Our fight must be intersectional, must include fighting things like racism and sexism, classism and ableism, in order to liberate all of us this episode's scope is limited. And really, it would be impossible to display all of the subtle and overt forms of violence that religion has inflicted on trans people without sharing the unique story of every single trans person, how we are impacted by that violence, and whether we face the more explicit violences of conversion therapy or threats of hell or the implicit or null violence of everyday cis-sexism or being invisibilized, is different for every one of us. Still, this episode is a start. The stories shared here are vital, valuable, and I am so grateful to the people who reached out to share their experiences. I pray that we can all find or make spaces where our pain is heard and met with compassion. Compassion that grieves with us and acts to create a better future. Let's get started with a poem from Bryce Corcoran. This poem communicates the ways that transphobia and homophobia interact with each other and the ways that LGBT phobia from church, from family, and from society as a whole Feed off one another. It shows how church leaders who think they mean well can be as harmful as church leaders who are openly anti gay and anti trans. Finally, Bryce's piece makes it clear how the damage done to us impacts our relationships not only with faith communities and family, but with God. Content warning for homophobia, transphobia, family rejection. Fear of divine rejection, and a couple brief mentions of death. Bryce asked me to read this piece for him, so you'll be hearing my voice read the poem. I wince when I hear worship music, because my pastor said that if I so much as looked into a Bible study at an affirming church, he'd have to ask me to leave. I wince when I hear worship music, because when I told a story where two men kissed, my small group leader scrunched up her face and flapped her hands in disgust, I wince when I hear worship music, because when we told my parents we were getting married, they were sorry they couldn't be happy for us. I wince when I hear worship music because my mom wants us to be happy until I realize I'm not a man, so this is a lesbian relationship, so we should get divorced. I wince when I hear worship music because my nana peeked around the door at my wife as I stood in her driveway. Because my wife couldn't even come into the house to help me carry my bag because so much as a hello and a handshake would be approving of our relationship, and God and the Pope say she can't do that, because she's gone now, and my wife has never even seen her face, because that was too much. I wince when I hear worship music, Because some politicians say the gays should be executed. Because the Bible says so. Because people respond with hallelujah, amen. I wince when I hear worship music because the other pastor from my old church spent an hour telling me how he has gay friends. Because he's not going to wave a torch for it though. Because he prayed about it and didn't feel called to do anything about it. Because when I told him I can't worship anymore, he told me, you have to. I wince when I hear worship music because it's all about the love of God. Because all I can think is, would this person tell me I'm not welcome? Scrunch their face and flap in disgust, say I should be executed. Because sometimes this gets called love. I wince when I hear worship music because sometimes I wonder if God really does hate me. I wince when I hear worship music because as much as it would hurt so much less to walk away from Christianity entirely, I can't. Because believing in something that rejects you cuts And aches and burns your mind and your soul. Because I still believe in the love of God despite everything. Because God is greater than his people. Because sometimes I can't engage with God through the damage done in his name. I wince when I hear worship music. Like Bryce, our next story comes from a person with an unsupportive family and church. Nico is a teenager who lives in Indonesia, and my heart aches to hear about the fear she feels at the possibility of her parents, her classmates, or her church finding out about her gender or sexuality. On the other hand, I'm grateful that Nico has been able to find encouragement online where she gets to see other LGBT Christians living and thriving. Knowing that other people like you exist truly is a powerful thing in the face of violence. Content warning for Nico's story. Homophobia and transphobia from students and family members, countrywide censorship, internalized homophobia, and fear of violence, including a mention of exorcisms.
1: Hello. I suppose I should introduce myself first. You can all call me Nickel. And before... Okay, I did some voice-altering stuff, so don't mind that. I'm currently 14 as of recording this. And will turn 15 later this year. I go by she and her pronouns to keep things simple, and I actually have no idea what my gender is when it comes to labels. It's pretty hard to describe, so not cis is probably the only conventionally describe it. <laughs> I've been raised as a Protestant. And the Christian denomination. I've recently been told that the specifics. About the specifics that I'm actually a Pentecostal Protestant. I just ask. Uh, yeah, that's what I got. I live in Indonesia, a Muslim-dominant country that leans on conservative values. Usually, you think it's a little annoying sometimes? Because some sites are blocked, though know they're not porn sites explicitly. Like, Tumblr got blocked last year for a couple months, but the non-porn and policy reverses, so I can uh, turn my bog again Hmm. It's pretty different from Western countries Sadly, not very LGBT friendly I mean, people get whipped and not just punishment for various reasons which includes being discovered to be LGBT Sadly I feel better knowing that just happens in that one province, though. This isn't as bad everywhere else, but still, all sunshines and rainbows. Anyway, I love cats and hedgehogs, and let's begin the story! So, this church started around 6th grade. That was the point in my life when I realized that I'm the asexual spectrum and that I fall under the Bipan umbrella. I actually come from a very religious family. My father and mother are church workers. And it's been said that they're basically pastors in everything but legal title. They took the studies and everything, they just didn't decide to legalize it. And, as you might guess, they're homophobic and transphobic. Among other things, but but that's a story for another day. Due to that and some other things, I'm unable to really be me with them. Um, I felt that I'm part of the LGBT plus community. I felt hurt knowing that if they knew, my life would go to ruin. I feared that I might be exercised or worse. How I'm not cis got things more complicated. And with how things went around here, I just felt out of place in the country. At some point, I realized that I wasn't this too. So yeah, things have been pretty complicated between me and religion since all that happened. Things were pretty rough for me. For a while, after I realized it wasn't straight, it could be described pretty well as Disney's Hellfire from Hunchback of Notre Dame of Notre Dame, but about internalized homophobia. It felt like pretty bad since it made me feel like it was a mistake and I uh, if I didn't give up my love, I wouldn't get into heaven or, re- or I would receive divine punishment for me, for it. I felt disconnected uh, from God and Christianity. <laughs> it made me hate myself, other than the facts that on my connection with God, it also got me really paranoid if my family would ever pound out. I had to dodge bullets to avoid being out, and even lie multiple, multiple times to cover it My parents... Being a little... Like snooping around sometimes, so... It wasn't very easy... At all... You know... Just... My mom, evading my privacy By opening the text messages I had with my friends Not cool Anyway One time in my old school A rumor started that I was a lesbian Then was- it? it was pretty ridiculous Ridiculous on how it started since it Was just because they saw a pair of friends hugging thing. and Since my old school is very strict on the new no romance rule I Couldn't even hug a friend N- Really no hugs Hugs It's just no platonic affection And in that sense Or at least no just no hugs. It was. It just sucked. Or else the teachers would think you're gay. And the teachers thinking you're gay would lead the problems with themselves. Anyway, Do I not actually a lesbian? I do have a crush on a woman-aligned character. And I was afraid that, that of what would happen if the situation got out of hand. I was in a Christian school too, so you know Tapped Thankfully, I moved out of that school and have come to terms with myself Not being straight When I started getting into a gender-questioning mood I had no longer Keep myself for it Instead, I've come to embrace Being in the LGBT community (laughs) Yeah Life's been pretty hard for me, for the past, sev- the past, for several reasons, including me not being cis, fan, or straight. But knowing that other LGBT Christians exist, like Avery, yes, the Avery that runs the podcast, exists makes me feel a lot better. you know what? I'm getting out of this country someday. It will take years, but I'm sure I'll get there eventually. And I- and I can move somewhere, that's where I'll open to LGBT people. Well, it'll be hard leaving some things that brought me so much joy in the past, but it'll hurt me even more to stay somewhere where I can't be myself. So I guess that's all I want to say. If anyone wants to contact me... Um, uh, my blog is... Is is, well, the cipher is J F P P You're going to have to crack the code to figure it out. Anyway, thanks for listening to my story, and have a great day.
0: The next story you'll hear, read by me on the person's behalf, is from Rika. I really appreciated his story because it reminded me of how diverse the beliefs and perspectives of the trans community are. Raika recognizes God's activity within their gender identity and their whole self in ways that are different from where I see God in my identity. There is so much richness in realizing that we all find meaning differently, even while recognizing that the divine is at work in all of our lives. Content warning for Rika's story. Transphobia and homophobia, including internalized, including the word homosexual being used as a slur, fear of divine rejection, and discussion of the military. My name is Rika. I'm 20 years old, and I identify as a gay, non-binary, trans man. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. I am a volunteer firefighter and a veteran of the United States Army. I was raised Catholic, but my family stopped following religion closely when I was around five or six years old. I still cared about my faith deeply, but only turned to God and the Bible when I was having a particularly rough time. It wasn't until middle school when I abandoned my faith completely. When I first realized I was different to my peers, I was around 12 or 13 years old. At first, I assumed I must be a lesbian because I didn't know that being transgender was an option. I didn't know being non-binary was an option. Being a lesbian was the only word I had to describe how I felt, but I always felt disconnected to this label as it didn't feel right to me. I knew something was off, but I didn't know how to describe it. I identified this way until I was 15, the first time I met my best friend, JC, who identifies as genderqueer and uses they-them pronouns. That was when I realized there were other options and started identifying as non-binary. My faith did not come quite as easily. Seeing God hates homosexuals and the like all around me when I was so young had an impact on me. I stopped reading the Bible, and I stopped turning to God for help when I should have. I struggled with my spirituality internally. Does he really love me? If he made me female, should I be going against him? Am I wrong for feeling this way? At some point, I convinced myself that if what all these people were saying is true, if God really hates me, why should I love him? Why should I praise him when in the end I know he would not allow me into his house, into heaven, because I am trans, because I am gay? Whenever I struggled with issues in the fire department, I talked to our chaplain, but it didn't help as much as it used to. I questioned God. Why he should let these bad things I was seeing happen? Then I joined the army. I enlisted for the same reason I joined the fire department, because I wanted to help people. Regardless of where I would end up, heaven or hell, I wanted to make a positive difference before I got there. In basic training, everyone went to church on Sundays. Some because they wanted to go, some because they wanted to get out of the barracks. I was in the latter group. I went to the Protestant service at the main post chapel because that was the one my friends attended. The first service I went to at the main post chapel, I cried the entire time. A chapel full of soldiers, singing about their love for Jesus, listening to the chaplain speak about how we are all at BCT, in this unit, at this chapel, because that's where God wants us to be. I enlisted in the army because that was God's plan for me. I was discharged medically under honorable conditions because that was God's plan for me. I am gay and I am transgender, because it is in God's plan for me. Realizing this has not taken away my troubles or hardships, but it makes it easier for me to get through them when I do. When I think back on all the things I struggled with as a young firefighter, I realize it was all him, his plan. God puts us through struggles to make us stronger and he does not give us more than what he knows we can handle. He does not love me less because my faith wavered. He does not love me less because I questioned him. He does not love me less because I am trans or because I am gay. I still struggle a little sometimes. But in the end, I know that he is mine and I am his. While Rika's story presented me with a perspective quite different from my own, a lot of the next-person story really resonates with me. Spencer discusses how hard it can be to articulate your religious trauma when the attacks never target your queerness directly. They also say that the most isolating thing for them has been the times they've tried to speak up and help their community become more inclusive, only to get shut down. In Spencer's story, it becomes clear that the inability to express to a faith community or to loved ones just how hurtful they've been is in itself a form of violence. Content Warning There is one use of the F word. There is also homophobia and transphobia, mentions of religious sexism and conflict with parents.
2: Hey Avery, hey listeners, Uh, my name is Spencer. I'm non-binary, I mostly use they them pronouns. I'm autistic, uh, though without any official diagnosis, and this is the story of my religious hurt. Uh, I have a really hard time articulating my experience of church hurt. I don't have any clear stories of that time when I was deeply wounded, although I have stories that if I told them would sound exactly like that. Uh, I tried to include some of them in this, but every time I did it came across exactly the wrong way. Uh, this is the moment when I was a drive by casualty of religious homophobia, incidentally attacked for my closeted queerness. But those weren't the moments when I really felt isolated and betrayed by what was supposed to be my church family. The things that I still remember are the times when I tried to fix my religious culture, or call attention to injustice that we were doing or we were contributing to, like gender-based restrictions in church leadership, which I've always thought were just the most absurd thing, and later in life, fighting against the evidence denial that a lot of Christian anti-science rhetoric is based in, even later anti-queer sentiments in the church, and just nothing happened. Nobody listened. At best, I could sometimes get whispered agreement in personal conversation, or lip service about, yeah, we should do something about that, but usually it just got like stares and uncomfortable silences that quickly moved on to other topics, or the worst, most angering, most devastating responses, theological justifications for why it was actually okay that we were doing all these hurtful, harmful things. That's where the real hurt sits and the things that I hold on to with the most bitterness and anger. And I know that they were good people And I'm sure that they didn't think of themselves as doers of harm and dealers of hurt and perpetrators of injustice, but I've never been able to forgive them for not listening when they were told, for just taking on faith that they were doing the right thing and that this was what God wanted without ever trying to figure out why or what it was that God cared about. Or for somehow coming to the conclusion that God wanted people to suffer, and still thinking that the God who wanted that was worth a damn. And As a reminder, I'm autistic, and I'm autistically obsessed with making sure the things that I believe are true, objectively as far as possible. This kind of rejection of evidence and twisting of reason to fit doctrine and preserve religious culture, um, <laughs> or as it was called in my time, church unity, God, I hate the phrase church unity. Anyway, as a younger person with a lot less self-awareness and social contextual awareness and a much, much weaker ability to cope with social friction, all this wound up fucking me up in ways that I'm just now finally coming to terms with and trying to sort out. And uh, having all that hurt inside made me lash out a lot uh, when I was struggling with my faith. I said a lot of destructive things to my parents, especially because they were the only authority figures that I had accessible to me that I could hurt back. Uh, They were the only Christian authorities that I could take revenge on. And I was so frustrated. And the more frustrated I was, the more I went out of my way to find more and more ways that Christendom was being just the worst. From as young as I can remember, I've always struggled with the idea of faith of believing in something that you can't know for certain. Uh, I actually remember reasoning up uh, a more simplistic version of Descartes' demon and uh, (laughs) thinking my way into a very naive version of Cartesian doubt when I was like eight. So I think it's fair to say that any kind of faith-based religion was never going to suit me. Um, But because of all these experiences, I didn't have anyone that I trusted to try and help me sort out my feelings about faith and religion, and honestly I really don't think most Christians are at all prepared to help the religious growth of someone who's more or less destined for non-belief. And I knew that, and I knew that I couldn't talk to anybody about it, and so I just isolated myself and did open heart surgery on my fundamental religious identity by myself which hurt a lot. So fast forward through my 20s. Uh, I'm currently approaching the big 3-0 with as much Taoist grace as I can muster. Uh, I've been out to my family for a few years now, and I'm starting to do counseling with my parents. And in the last session we had, my mother, sobbing, said that she felt so hurt and betrayed that she hadn't been allowed to be part of my struggles and my journey, and I just Couldn't find the word to try and tell her why she hadn't been. There's no way to tell the people close to you that their religion was and still is directly opposed to your existence, and that's why you couldn't trust them to do their jobs as parents and take care of you. There's no way to say that and not make it the most hurtful thing you can say to a parent. And there's no way to tell a church that's trying to save you that what they're doing is literally the opposite of salvation. There's a willful blindness and deafness that afflicts so much of American religious culture, and I'm still trying to figure out a way to forgive people for it.
0: The next and final story is my own. Content warning for discussions of internalized queerphobia, homophobia from the Catholic Church, discussions of puberty, and suicide ideation, as well as a very brief mention of self-harm. Spencer called himself a drive-by casualty of religious homophobia. I really feel that. Growing up, I didn't have the slightest inkling that I was queer. The existence of LGBT people just didn't come up, and the few times it did, the topic would be discussed in hushed tones and the subject quickly changed. So what I learned without even realizing I was learning anything about the LGBT community was that gay was a dirty word. Queerness was adult content not suitable for polite discussion. When I realized in college that I was queer, all of that stuff I'd internalized without a thought suddenly became a weapon of self-loathing. I was the dirty thing that could not be discussed in front of children. I was the one whom the Catholic catechism claimed should be treated with compassion. But that compassion felt a lot more like pity tinged with distaste, A lot more like a rope tied around my neck, constricting my ability to live out my faith or to have healthy and fruitful relationships. I've already talked about a lot of this already in the first episode of this podcast. So all that I'm bringing to the table today is a poem that I wrote. In the poem, I imagine that I, the person I am today, a 24-year-old proudly genderqueer seminarian who is getting married to a woman in just two weeks, is talking to the person I was when I was 10 or 11 years old. I remember the anguish I felt at that age after I learned in health class about how my body was about to betray me. I had never worried about gender before, about how other people perceived me, and suddenly I was getting told that I was about to blossom into a young woman. I learned that from my mom, who awkwardly told me about periods while shelling peas in the kitchen. I learned that from my school, where girls and boys were split up to discuss reproductive health. And I learned that from my church, from the Catholic theology of the body that states that men and women are created with inherent, complementary differences, and that it is God's will for me to embrace my womanhood. All of these messages piled up on my chest like stones. My future loomed ahead of me, and it was one that I did not think I could survive. I felt trapped, and like many trapped people, I started to wonder if the only way out was death. I want to make it clear that my teenage years were not all doom and gloom. These suicidal thoughts only happened, you know, every now and again. But in the midst of the good times I had, there was always this sort of background feeling that I wasn't going to be around for very long. And it kind of scares me that I've known various LGBT people who have had that same sort of feeling that they weren't too long for this world. And to me, this sense of hopelessness that we're not too long for this world is one of the most insidious impacts of the violence that we face in our day-to-day lives. So many transgender people inflict violence upon ourselves. And one of the reasons we do that is, yes, overt forms of violence against us, people telling us we are sinful and wrong, people threatening us with violence or abuse, but silence is another form of violence that causes us to harm ourselves. Simply lacking the language, never being given the language to describe ourselves, never being shown others who are like us, is a form of violence that our society enacts upon us all. Sexism is the idea that everyone is cisgender, that transness is some sort of abnormality, or that it doesn't even exist. I grew up not knowing that I could be non-binary, and that lack of information, compiled with the anti-gay doctrine that I learned resulted in me hating myself and harming myself and thinking that there was no future for me. So I just want to make sure that everyone listening to this recognizes that I was wrong as I was growing up and believed that there was no future for me. I was so wrong because I, as I am now, 24 years old and Proud of who I am and about to marry the love of my life, about to graduate from seminary with all these wonderful plans for my future. I am living proof that we can thrive, that there is more to our existence than suffering or feeling hated or invisible, that we can be seen and we can be known, we can be loved, we can be happy. And I really wish I could go back in time and tell my past self that fact, that I would thrive. So it's to the me that I was, the very first time I experienced a suicidal thought, that I wrote this poem. I find you kneeling below the crucifix above your bed, alone, and I know too well the image looming in your mind. It's the one that will return to you in coming years with greater and greater frequency. But it never has before, and you are scared. Why? Why does a noose seem preferable to what life has in store? What is wrong with you? I will tell you what is wrong with you. Nothing. Nothing at all. When you notice me, You do not recognize me. I have to tell you. I was you. You will be me. I laugh at the one question you have after you've looked me up and down, taking in the short hair, the flannel, the queerness of it all. I laugh because of course this is the one question you have. Of course. Are we still Catholic? No, I answer. No, you, I had to go because they did not understand. God fashioned our two hands to fit hers perfectly, petal into petal. Yes, I answer. Yes, we are still Catholic even more than ever before. And there is where my imagination fails. I do not know what would happen next in this vision of mine. You are so different from me. I was so different then. But here is what I hope. You consider what I said. You nod slowly. You let me tell you everything I wish I knew back then. You do not have to be a girl. You do not have to be a boy. No more male and female. No more woman and man. You can simply be. Everything you are learning that is shattering you, everything they say about your body and what you are becoming, does not have to be true. You are not growing into a young woman. You can live in this world without hunching your shoulders. You can live in this world uncloistered, unsilenced, seen. You can live. You can live. You can live. Humility is good, yes. But so is outspokenness. Speak out cut your hair, not your skin. It's okay. Buzz it down to almost nothing, so it can grow back like saplings after fire. You hate your bangs anyway. Of course, if you do this thing, classmates might take the word queer, a striking word, a resilient word, an illuminating word, and ball it up and spit in it, and throw it at your back, and that is something I never had to endure, so I don't know how you will handle it, and I'm sorry for that. But I tell you, if that happens, kneel down and scoop that crumpled word up from the floor and smooth it out tenderly, and pin it to your heart, wear it with pride, because you no, you have always known that what is queer, what is strange, what is misconstrued, what is scoffed at and trampled on and tortured by this world, is good, is holy, is God's. That is what I have always loved about you. That is the seed you will carry into the life that becomes me. So, thank you. That is your gift to me. And here now is my gift to you. A vow, an oracle that will come true. You will live. You will be alive. And if I have any say in it, God knows you will Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. It is a vital thing that each of us has a space in which we can share our stories, and that each of us has a chance to hear the stories of others. This was a heavy episode, so please go do something to take care of yourself now that you've gotten through it. Before wrapping up, I want to let you all know that I've officially got a Patreon now. Search for Queerly Christian on Patreon and you'll find me. For anyone who doesn't know, Patreon is a website where artists request financial support for their work. And people who decide that yes, this is a person whose work I appreciate and benefit from and who deserves to be paid for what they do, become patrons. You select how much money you want to give monthly from $1 to however much you want. Artists offer special rewards to folks who offer different amounts, and also have goals for their overall monthly income. You can read about the rewards I'm offering on my Patreon. One reward is that if you are able to pay $12 or more every month, I'll give you a shout out in every episode of this podcast. I already have two very awesome, generous people who joined at this tier level. So many thanks to Ron Hartzler and Rosina Page for your generosity. You are both super fabulous people. Even cooler than the tiered rewards are the goals that all patrons work towards collectively. I strongly believe that resources should be as accessible as possible for all the people that need them, free of charge. So if I produce content that I think could be helpful to an LGBT person of faith or their allies, I'm not about to insist that each person who wants access to that content fork out 10 bucks to get it. Instead, it should be a community effort to make that content happen and then once it is achieved, it should be available to everyone. So for instance, if all together my patrons can get us to $300 per month, I'm going to commit to producing at least six YouTube videos. Those videos will be available to everybody, not just patrons, because I know that not everyone can afford to give even a small amount, and that's okay. Please, only give what you are able to give without sacrifice. I don't want to be taking money from people who need it more than I do. If you are able and willing to chip in, know that you're not just helping yourself. You're helping a whole community of people have access to more content. And that's a beautiful thing. You might be wondering, Avery, why do you even need to get paid for this stuff anyway? Truth be told, I'm going to keep on producing episodes of this podcast and answering people's questions on Tumblr and working on my website of trans-Christian history, even if I don't get a single penny for it. I see putting this content out into the world as a huge part of my calling. But money will help me produce more and more content. Making all of this stuff takes a lot of time and energy. This episode alone took me like 10 hours to produce. The more support I have, the more time and energy I can dedicate to answering people's questions, interviewing trans people, and researching the intersections between faith and the LGBTQ community. So if you like what I've been doing, and you want me to do even more, consider supporting me on Patreon. Again, you can find me there if you search for Queerly Christian. And if you have any questions about that, or feedback, or comments about this podcast, email me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. Whether or not you can be a patron, you can be a huge support to this podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes and spreading word of its existence. Thank you all so much. See you again in two weeks. In the meantime, go break some binaries and to be a blessing to the world with your life.